What's up, Ace 12? Yes, it is so good to be back after a couple weeks off. And I know school starts tomorrow. For some of you, already started. Who's already started? Where's all my already started people? Who, who has not? Who starts tomorrow? Thank you guys for coming out tonight. I know you probably have a lot of preparation for uh, school tomorrow. And uh, I'm sure, how many of you guys had a good break? Where are my good break people at? Yeah. And uh, so, uh, so, so here's the deal. One of the things that I love about Christmas break and one of the things I kind of got to get into a little bit uh, was all the bowl games that was going on. And I love rivalries and sports. And I'm a huge UNC Tar Heel basketball fan. And so, you know, uh, I grew up in North Carolina, and so we're like anti-Duke. And so there's like that rivalry that goes on. And there's that rivalry between where are my Georgia people at? Where are my Georgia? Where are my, <laughs> where are my tech fans at? Where are my Georgia tech? Where are my Gator fans at? Where are my Gator? Yeah, they're all, yeah there's, all, there's something wrong with Gator fans. We got to pray for them. Got to pray for those Gator fans. And, uh, and there's rivalries and all these different things. And, and listen, the thing is, is that rivalries are not just contained to sports. Rivalries are all over the place. There's rivalries between, you know, McDonald's and Burger King. But perhaps one of the biggest rivalries is the rivalry that exists between Pepsi and Coca-Cola. Oh, yeah. And here's the deal. Tonight we're going to solve... We're going to solve that rivalry once and for all. We're going to solve what we think is the best. And so where are my Pepsi people at? Raise your hand. All right. All right. Those are the people. All right. Where are my Coca-Cola people at? Yeah. That is what I'm talking about. Now, now, raise your hand in here if you really, 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 really love Coca-Cola. Like really so much that you would just love to have a nice cold Coca-Cola up in the house tonight. Who would want the gift of this nice, cold Coca-Cola? All right, come on up. Come on up. Y'all give it up for her. All right, introduce yourself to them. Just talking to my mic right here. Ashlyn. Y'all give it up for Ashlyn. Okay, this is your Coke. I want you to hold it, and I want you to open it, but I don't want you to drink it. All right, just open it. Don't drink it. I want you to open it, and, I, and don't drink it. Now, now this, now this is, uh, <clears throat> I'm just kidding, and uh, now this that I'm holding my hand is actually, um, I don't know what he just said, but uh, uh, this is uh, actually uh, 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 deer urine, that's what it is, it is a uh, buck urine, active scrape, buck. actually just take a little whiff of it right there, just a little sniff, just, you just need a little sniff, you need a little sniff right there. Oh, come on. You know you want to sniff. Come up here and say, you want to sniff? Come and give it a sniff one good time. Get a go. Yeah, that's not good. Dang. Now, now, hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. It's just a couple drops, guys. It's not a big deal. Just a couple drops. No big deal. I'll wipe a little bit off the rim here so you don't get as much in your mouth. All right. Now, you want this? Why not? Deer pee in it. Yeah, but, but it is like 99.9% Coke. It's only like 0.1% like deer pee. But it's still there. All right, I'll give it up for for being a sport. Before you go, I got an actual real Coke for you. Here you go. There you go. Y'all give it up for it. Do not drink that. <laughs> All right, listen, listen, listen. 
So we're in this series called Secrets. We're in this series called Secrets, and tonight, tonight I want to talk to you just for a few minutes. I want to talk to you about secret sin. And listen, this is what I want you to understand. This is what I want you to get. This is what I want to wrap your mind around. I want you to think about this illustration as we go through tonight. Here's the truth. The truth is, is that, that it only takes 0.1% of deer urine to ruin a perfectly good Coke. And the truth is, is that in your life, in your life personally, it only takes 1.1% of sin to begin to dismantle you and ruin your life. See, this is what I found. What I found is, is that people are like, hey, man, I'm okay. Like, like, I don't do a bunch of crazy bad stuff. I mean, like, I go to church. Like, I love people. Like, I serve every once in a while. Like, I mean, I'm doing stuff. Like, I mean, I'm a pretty nice kid. Like, I respect my parents, and, and you know, and I don't get in a lot of trouble. And so, man, everything in my life is pretty good. Like, I'm good with God. I'm good with all these things. And what I found is, is that most of us in this room, if not all of us, including myself, have stuff in our life that we need to conquer that are conquering us. See, the thing is, is that oftentimes we think, man, I'm good, everything's good, everything's good. There's, yeah, man, there's this little, you know, kind of hidden closet. There's this, there's this little, you know, back alley. There's this dark corner of our life. And, and I know it's there. I know it's kind of tucked in there some way, uh, somewhere. I, I don't really talk about it because I'm kind of ashamed of it and, and, and I'm kind of guilty of it. But, but, but I know it's there and it exists in my life. But, man, all this other stuff is good, so I'm good with God. Everything's good in my life. But, but I still have this thing that I hang on to. I find that most people, what they do is, man, they're like, hey, man, I want to give my whole life to God, and they do, but there's this one area of their life, they're like, man, I'm not going to give that piece of my life, that corner of my life to God. And oftentimes, this thing is a secret. It's hidden. It's, it's, it's kind of hardwired in us. It's, it's hidden, and, and we don't want anybody to know about it. And the truth is, is that most of us have secrets. Maybe it's a secret that like you wouldn't tell your parents, or maybe it's a secret that, you know, you, you don't tell your friends, maybe because of, of guilt or shame, or, or uh, maybe it's a secret that controls your life. There's a guy by the name of Ted Haggard who was a pastor at a church up in Colorado. This was a fast-growing, influential church. Churches from all over the world were looking at New Life Church and what they were doing in their programs, and, and Pastor Ted was speaking all over the place, and, and I mean, he had an amazing family, a successful church, and it came out just a few years ago that he was having an inappropriate relationship with a prostitute, has a family, kids, and one article wrote this, and it said this in the article, it says, it says, uh, in, in talking about this inappropriate relationship, it says, his fall, talking about Ted, his fall from respected church leader to confess adulterer and deceiver, had many wondering how could such a thing happen to one so blessed with position, family, and success. The answer is found in Haggard's own explanation of the events. He said this, There is a part of my life that is so repulsive and dark, and I've been warring against it my entire adult life. He acknowledged that he continually fought a losing battle against impure sexual urges and acted these out in secret. And we can see that the seed of what dismantled him, what undone his life, was the fact that he kept it in secret. In fact, if you're taking notes, I'll put this in your notes, bad things grow in the dark. And it begins to beg this question, how can a guy, how can a pastor, a man of God leading a church, 
Things happening in the right direction. Awesome church leaders respecting him. How could this happen to him? I had a professor in college, and, and he uh, mentored pastors who had fallen into uh, maybe adultery or, or, or things like that. And this is what he said. He says, one of the things that has been consistent in every pastor that I've counseled with who's fallen into adultery is this. And when someone says that, it's like, all right, I'm going to pay attention. What's he about to say? He said, here it is. Every single one of them said they never thought it could happen to them. They said it, they never thought it could happen to them. And it asked the question, and, and the truth is that when we look at Scripture, we see a similar story of this happening. A guy by the name of David, he grows up as a man of God. I mean, he loves God with all of his heart. In fact, we see him writing songs even in his youth that are, that are recorded in the book of Psalms. We see, we see him writing prayers that, that we even read in church today. And, and here's a man who later on the Bible says is a man after God's own heart. As a teenager, he stood up for God and defeated Goliath. And, and the interesting thing about that whole story, in fact, I think the key verse in that story is when he's standing before Goliath. And Goliath's standing there with his javelin and his spear and his, and his sword and everything, or in his, uh, and his shield in his hand. And he says to him, he says, you come at me as spear and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. And today he's going to deliver you into my hands. Now that's pretty bad. That's confidence in God, that's confidence in his relationship with God. He had this confidence in his relationship with God. And we know the story that he defeats the Goliath. We know that, that God ends up uh, anointing David as the new king of Israel, the king over God's people, the man after God's own heart. And what we know about David is, is that God protected David and God protected the people of God because of David's leadership and his relationship with God that just oozed out of him. It, it literally changed the entire nation. Even today, when people who study history and study Israel and study the Bible see that David was the greatest king in Israel's history. And it was because he walked with God. Respected leader. But then we get to this passage of scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you got your Bibles, you can open there. It's on page 308 in your worship center Bibles. If you got one there under your chair, you can open up to that. And I want to read this, I want to read this story to you. And this is a powerful story. This is, this, is one of the, this is what I want you to see. If you think it can't happen to you, it will. None of us are above a big fall in our life. None of us are above a tragic thing to happen in our life. None of us are above any sin to get wrapped up in. Not me, not you, not anybody. It's why we have to walk in the Spirit. It's why we have to press into our relationship with God and walk with Him daily. It's why we have to address the secret sin in our life because that can begin to undo you. And I want you to notice in the story, we're going to pick up in verse 11. We're going to start in verse 1. Or chapter 11, start in verse 1. It says this, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. And they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. I want you to get the picture of this story and understand what's going on. This is a time when the kings go off to war. It's understood that King David and his men would go off to war. But what happens is, is that David decides to stay at home when everyone else is going off to war. So David sent his men ahead of him. One of the things that I think is interesting about this is that David was where he shouldn't be. David was where he should not be. 
Man, I find this interesting, and I look back in my own personal life. I look back when I was in high school. I look back in different decisions that I made that oftentimes when sin rears its ugly head in my life is when I'm where I shouldn't be. Right? And sometimes what we can say is we can say, hey, man, you know what? Like, like I can be at the party. I can be at this. I can be in the basement with no adult supervision with my girlfriend. I can be here. I can be there. And we end up putting ourselves in a situation, in a place we shouldn't be. And oftentimes we begin to fall. Or, or it can put us there. In fact, we see this even with Adam and Eve. The first, sin, the first sin that we see in the garden. Where was Adam and Eve hanging out? They were hanging out by the tree. They had this massive garden. This massive uh, place where they could go and roam and eat of all the fruit. But they're hanging out around the tree that God told them not to eat from. Their proximity to the place where they could get themselves in trouble. I think that's what we do sometimes. I know that's true for me. We're like, hey, man, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to get involved. I'm, hey, I'm gonna, I mean, I'm going to turn the computer on. I know nobody's home. I know I might be, t- but, I, dude, I'm good with this. And this happens all the time. It happens to me. It happens to you. It happens to the best of us. Moving on, it says, verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed, and he walked out around the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And, it says that, and he says that the woman was very beautiful. I want you to notice that this sin started with a look. He walks out on the roof, he looks out, he sees this woman bathing. Uh, he's up on the palace, so he can probably see a long way, and this woman's outside of her house, and he's, she's bathing, and, and I don't know why she's made herself seen. Maybe she knows the king comes out, maybe she's lonely, because her husband, we'll see later, is off to war with David's men. And David sees this woman, and it starts with a look, and notice what it says. It says that he says she is beautiful. This is what I know. He didn't turn away. He kept on looking. He kept looking. See, it'd be like this. If you were at the beach, men, if you're at the beach and you're in a condo on the 10th floor, and you walk out on the condo one night, put your hands over on the rail, and you look down, and in the pool is a girl, senorita, down there swimming naked. You all right? Now listen, if you're like this and you look down and you're like, whoa, 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 let me close these doors and lock it. I'm going to bed. Whoa, whoa, like I can't look at that. You don't know if that girl was beautiful or not. That's not, it says that she was really beautiful. David's in there, he like, dang girl, what's up? You know what I mean? That's what David's doing. And then when you keep going in the passage, I want you to notice what it says. It says, so David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, this is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah. Notice, David keeps looking, and then he inquires about her. It's not, a, hey man, looking's not a big deal. Looking's not a big deal. But you know what, I'm, I think I want to know who this girl is. So he inquires about her. Notice that it's just small steps. He's taking closer and closer steps to getting himself into trouble. And the guy comes back and he says, it's Bathsheba. And she's the wife of Uriah. Now we know later, the Bible tells Uriah was one of David's best fighting men. Uriah and David were close friends. David knew that what he was about to do was not the right thing to do. But notice what it says. Because it says, then he sent messengers to get her. He first inquired of her, and now he's given an invitation to her. She came to him, and he slept with her. And she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness, and then she went back home. And the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. I want you to think about this scene. Can you imagine David has just slept with one of his wife's friends, 
or, or one of his friend's wives, and, and, and he sends her home, and he thinks, hey, man, it's all good. Nobody's going to find out about this. Like, I got off this scot-free. No big deal. They're out at war. They're going to come back. No one's ever going to know. I'm the only one that knows, and I'm the king. No one's going to tell on me, or they're going to be put to death. So I am good to go. And can you imagine when she showed up at his house and she said, or to the castle, and she said, uh, David, bro, uh, <clears throat> we, <laughs> we got to talk. <laughs> And David's like, yes, yeah, yeah, sure, Bassie, what's up? You know, and they went over and sit down. Well, uh, you know, about a couple months ago, you know, when we, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, and like, you know, like, uh, you know, it's been a little time after that, and uh, we'll see, uh, I'm pregnant. I can imagine David was freaking out. He's horrified. He's horrified because now his, his friend's going to come back home from war and he's going to realize that his wife's pregnant and wait a minute, I've been off at war so I didn't get her pregnant, so who got you pregnant? And she's going to say, David. And then the word's going to spread amongst the ranks of the armies of Israel and they're going to be like, huh, some king he is. We're out here fighting for him and he's back home going after our wives. David's got himself a little conundrum. And David begins to do something that we all do when we end up getting ourselves in a situation because of our sin. Notice what he does. He tries to cover it up. Bad things grow in the dark. He, 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 he tries, he's got this secret and he starts trying to cover it up. Notice what it says in verse 6. So David sent word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. Now I want you to notice this conversation. David has Uriah. When Uriah came to him, David asked, how was Joab, and how are the soldiers, and how's the war going? David's shooting the crap with him, you know what I'm saying? He comes up to him, and David's like, David's like, hey, bro, what's up, man? How you doing, Uriah? How's my boy? Hey, man, hey, how's Joab doing? Oh, he's doing good. That's good, man. Hey, how are the soldiers? Oh, that's good. How's what? Oh, that's great. That's great, man. Hey, bro, you, you know, ah, uh, man, I got a great idea. How about you just take a couple days off from war? You go back home, spend some time with your wife, David knowing that he's been off at war for months, and the first thing he's going to want to do when he gets home to his wife is jump on her. Is that too much? Anyways, and, uh, and so, you know, <laughs> my married people in the house say amen. And, uh, and, so, and, and, so, and so David's got this plan all figured out. And so Uriah will go home, he'll sleep with his wife, and then when that happens, then, then, then she ends up being pregnant, and, and, and then he's going to be like, oh, that's my kid, and whew, I've covered it up. I'm off scot-free. I don't have to face the consequences for what's happened. Then David said, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. David probably sent like a nice little dinner down to his house with him, you know, trying to set the mood, maybe some candles, you know. I don't know. And I want you to know what Uriah did. I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version of the next several verses, then we're going to pick up. Uriah, because he's so loyal to his men, he begins to think. None of the other men are getting to be home with their wives, and they're not getting to eat at their tables. So I'm not going to do that either. He was such a loyal soldier and such so loyal to his men that he actually didn't even go home. He went and slept out on the doors, doorsteps of the palace. Well, the next day, David thinks he's off clean, and one of his messengers comes to him and says, Hey, man, listen, just so you know, Uriah did not go home last night. And David's like, 
are you serious? So David calls Uriah back, and he sends him back home, and, and Uriah still won't go home. And so then David decides to get him drunk. Maybe that will kind of, you know, encourage him and spur him on to go home, and, and, and he still doesn't go home. And David doesn't know how he's going to cover this thing up, so David does the unthinkable. Keep reading, he says this. In the morning, David, verse 14, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. And in it he wrote, put Uriah out in the front where the fighting is the fiercest. Then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at the place where he knew would be the strongest defenders. And when the men of the city came out to fall against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. He sent him out to be killed. He was willing to do whatever it took to cover up his sin. Now, I know what you're thinking, dude. I'm not going to kill anybody <laughs> over what I've done in my life. But the truth is, maybe not, but here's the truth. The truth is, is that we all in this room do whatever we feel like we have to do to cover up our sin. And if you're taking notes, I want to give you a couple thoughts on this passage of Scripture that are biblical truth. Here's the first one. You can write it down. We are hardwired to hide our sin. We are hardwired to hide our sin. Nobody teaches you to hide when you mess up. Now, I got a little daughter at home. She's almost two years old, so she's not even two years old. Several months ago, uh, uh, several months ago, an incident happened. And in this incident, I want you to picture this. Um, we have in one of the rooms of our house, we have like this little candle holder. And it's a small little candle holder, but it's made of glass. Now, obviously, we don't want our daughter playing with glass because she's not even two years old, and that could be dangerous. Now, versus putting it on a high shelf where she can't reach it, we are idiots and leave it where she can reach it and just tell her no. Now, here's the thing. My little girl, Abby, even before she's two years she knows what no means. If she goes to pick up something or do something you don't want to do, you say, Abby, no. She immediately stops. She knows what no means. And Abby knows that this little glass... Uh, candle holder is not something that she should touch or mess with and so my wife's out running some errands I'm at the house I'm doing dishes over at the sink kind of cleaning up a little bit in the kitchen and I keep hearing this drawer in our living room open and close and then about five six ten seconds later it opens and it closes and then about five ten seconds later it opens and it closes and and I'm kind of watching dishes and I look over and I see Abby walk out of our living room into another room and then you know a couple seconds later she comes kind of trotting back in and she opens the drawer and I can see it looks like she's putting something in the drawer and so I said Abby what are you doing and she walks over to me with kind of her head down a little bit and I said what are you doing baby and as I look down her hands are covered in blood. Now, you can imagine as a father, I was horrified. Like, where is she cut? Like, what happened? What did she cut her hands on? Like, I'm freaking out. I pick her up. I'm, like, cleaning off her hands. She's got little cuts to all of her hands. Fortunately, nothing was serious. And, and so I go over to the drawer, and when she, what she did is she was playing with a, with a candle, and she dropped it on the ground, and it busted into about ten pieces. And what she was doing is she was taking them uh, two pieces at a time, one in each hand, over to the drawer and opening up the drawer and putting them in the drawer and closing the drawer to try to hide what she did. Devious child, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now listen, listen, this is what I want you to catch. Nobody taught her how to do that. 
It is hardwired in us as a sinner, as a part of who we are, born with a sin nature that has been passed on to all of us ever since Adam and Eve in the garden. Because of that, we are hardwired to hide and cover up our sin. And that's exactly what Abby was doing. She was, she was hiding it. She was, she was putting it away. In fact, I'll even tell you this. Even go back to the, and this is, this is biblical. This is, this is what the Bible teaches us. When you go all the way back to the first sin in the garden, Adam and Eve eat from the fruit and notice the first thing they do. The first thing they do in Genesis 3, 7 through 8, it says this. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig trees together and made coverings for themselves. The first thing they did as soon as they sinned was cover up. Nobody taught them to cover up. They just did it. Something about sin makes us want to hide and cover up. And this is what it is. Sin brings shame. It brings guilt. It brings, it brings insecurity. It brings all of these things into our life that we feel like we have to hide as a result of that. And that is what the power is. Is of the gospel, the power, the message of Jesus is, is that when Jesus died on the cross and he rose again on the third day, defeating sin and death, he now shines the light of God into those dark places of our life, illuminating it, letting us know that we are forgiven as a result of what he's done for us. So now we don't have to have that guilt and shame and insecurity and those things in our life because we now know that we are fully made whole in him. That is amazing. That is the beautiful picture of the gospel and the message of Christianity, the message of Jesus. And they hid and they covered up this first thing they did. When you go to verse 8, it says, And, then, his man, and then, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as they were walking in the garden the cool day, and they hid from the Lord God in the trees of the garden. They covered up and they hid. And this is exactly what David does. He tries to hide it. He tries to fix the situation. He tries to cover up the consequence. And this is what I can tell you. The more you try to cover up your sin in your life, the more pain that is inflicted in your life. It's true. I can give you example after example of my own personal life and everybody that I know. The more and more my daughter tried to hide the pieces of glass that she dropped on the ground, the more her hands were getting cut. The more and more David tried to hide and cover up his sin in this situation, the more intense it got, the more it hurt him, and the more that it hurt other people. And this happens to us if we're not careful. We begin to try to hide. We begin to insulate. We begin to protect ourselves. We begin to cover up. We begin to hide, and we begin to hurt ourselves, and we begin to hurt the other people around us, and we don't even realize it. The second thing I want you to write down if you're, you're taking notes is sin, secret sin progressively moves to control. Secret sin progressively moves to control. There was this experiment that was done where they took a 500-pound steel beam that was 8 feet long, and they suspended it in the air. And then they took a common cork, only weighing a few ounces, and they hung it from a, from a thread, from a thin thread from the ceiling. And the idea behind the experiment was to see that if, we, if you took the common cork and you allowed it to swing into the 500-pound, 8-foot steel beam, that over time it would begin to move the steel bar. And after about 10 minutes of the experiment, the steel beam began to move. After 30 minutes of the experiment, the steel beam was moving like the pendulum on a clock. And the whole point of that is, is that it starts small. It starts small. It's, it, it seems insignificant. It seems insignificant in the beginning, and then it begins to move 
into something more significant. For David, remember, as we would go back to the story, it starts with him staying at home when his men were supposed to be at war. Then it moved to him making a look. And then it moved for him to making an inquiry. And then it moved to him making an invitation. And then it moved to him uh, committing adultery. And then it moved to him creating a web of lies. And then it moved to him committing murder. See the progression as it goes. And the same thing goes with sin in our life. This is exactly how the sin pattern works in our life. David didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, man, I want to go kill my friend. And this is the pattern for everything, every sin situation that I can think of. I can just use one example, one simple example, something like porn. It starts with just, hey, man, you're at home or you're with some friends or you're whatever, and, and you see it's just a glance. And then it becomes an occasional thing. And then it becomes something that you're doing daily. And then you begin to work your schedule around it. Then it begins to control you. We're going to talk more about this in, a, in our next series that we're going to be doing and kind of press into this a little bit more just to talk about the effects of it and all the kind of stuff that goes along with it. But I can use this for anything. Self-harm, eating disorders, lying. It doesn't matter. Name the sin. It doesn't matter. People don't start out as alcoholics. They don't start out as addicts. It starts with one drink, it starts on occasion, then it becomes a weekend thing, then it becomes an every weekend thing, then it becomes a daily thing, and it becomes an addiction. It starts out small, and it begins to take control over your life. And it is when you begin to be controlled by it that you feel trapped. And it's often when people get to this point where they feel trapped that they see no way out. This is the story of the pastor I mentioned to you early, Ted Haggard. It started, out, it started out small. It started out with just urges in his life. If he had opened up about this earlier, got help for this earlier, sought counsel on this earlier, it wouldn't have dismantled his life the way that it did. But it wasn't until he was trapped and saw no way out that it eventually began to come out. So what do I do with this? What do I do with this conversation? What about the secret sin that I have in my life? How do I deal with that? How, how do I take the next steps as far as, as far as dealing with that particular area of my life? The first is this. Take a note, you can write this down as well. Confess your sins to God. Confess your secret sin to God. Listen, God already knows your secrets. God already knows your secrets. Proverbs 15.3 says this, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching over good and evil. It's funny because the first thing that Adam and Eve do is they hide from God and God comes strolling through the garden and he's like, he's like, Adam and Eve, where are you? God is omniscient. God knew exactly where they were, right? It's kind of like if you've ever played the game of hide and seek with like a, like a three or four year old, you know, and they hide behind something like this. You know what I mean? And then you come like looking for them and you're pretending like you don't see them. And so you like go around and you're like, you're like oh, uh, are you over here? And oh, are you over here? I don't see you. Where are you at? And this is kind of what God's doing. And God's walking through the garden. He's like, hey, Adam and Eve, where are you guys at? And, and, and eventually they start feeling guilty. And you're like, hey, here we are like this. And, and, God's, like, and, and God's like, why are you guys covered up? Well, because well, well, uh, we're naked. And God's like, who told you you were naked? God already knows. He's just wanting them to confess it to him. He's wanting them to open up. He's wanting them to acknowledge that they have a problem. He's wanting, wanting them to acknowledge that they have a sin issue in their life. And the first thing we have to do is we have to confess our sin to God. See, the thing about confession is this. 
is that we're not confessing our sin to God because he's oblivious to our sin and he doesn't know what's going on. It's because he wants us to acknowledge our sin and brokenness so that he can show us his grace and forgiveness. And so that we can experience that. 1 John 1, 9, one of my favorite verses in the Bible says this, If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Then no matter what you've done, no matter what, no matter how deep you are, whether it's a new secret sin or whether it's an old secret sin, or maybe it's not even secret anymore. Maybe it's already out. Maybe you're already like David and you've already fallen flat on your face. And he's saying, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is the hope that we have in Christ. And secondly, not only do we confess our sins to God, but we confess our sins to someone. Confess your sins to someone. I love what James 5.16 says. It says this, therefore, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. How are we healed? We confess our sins to one another. There is power in confessing our sins to one another. Letting it out, having a conversation with someone. This is what happened with David. If you keep reading and you get to 2 Samuel chapter 12, we see that the prophet Nathan confronts David on his sin. And when he does, David is broken. He's weeping. He's devastated. And he repents. He confesses his sin to God. And the Bible tells us in chapter 12 that God forgives him. God forgives him. And here's my question to you. Who is your Nathan in your life? Who is the person that can come to you and say, hey, man, you need to check this. Hey, man, how are you doing in this area of your life? I've mentioned this in here before. I literally have friends that call me or I call them, and one of the first things they say when, I, when they answer the phone, hey, Derek, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? Doing great. Hey, before we get into, you know, catching up on life, I just want to know, bro, uh, how, how's your thought life going? When's the last time you looked at porn? You been treating your wife with respect lately? You been loving her? When's the last time you took her out on a date? When's the last time you told her how beautiful she was? You say, dang, I don't want friends like that. Now, let me tell you something. That's the type of friends I want. I want friends that are going to keep me accountable. I'm not an insecure man where I can't have somebody else call me out on the stuff in my life. If you want to live your life with all these secret hidden places, you're never going to get accountability. You're never going to get victory. And you're going to wander and spile around into a, a scenario just like David did. And you're going to fall flat on your face. And you need to have someone that you can be open with. Talk about your struggles. Every small group that I was in from the time I was in college until now, every small group that I've ever been in with my peers, we are open about things that we, that we have going on in our life. We talk about temp. T-E-M-P. Thoughts, eyes, masturbation, porn. Guys, we deal with it, so we talk about it. And we encourage each other, and we challenge each other, and we text each other almost every day. How you doing with temp? This is what brothers do, man. We try to build each other up. I want you to honor your wife that you're going to be with one day. And ladies, I want you to honor your husband that you're going to be with one day. And you were tainting that by looking at that garbage on your computer screen. You are. Can we just 
get a little real and hear some hard truth right now. Because that's the truth. You have to have someone you confess your sins to. That's why we do life groups. We do life groups so you can build relationships with a core group of students from this ministry who say, hey, man, I want to go deeper in my walk with God. And a part of going deeper with your walk with God is knowing that you have a band of brothers or a band of sisters that are going to pick you up when you fall down. They're going to challenge you and, and ha have a place for you to be able to confess your sins to. And so that they don't just beat you down and go scare, share a bunch of gossip about you when you open up about your struggles. But they say, you know what, sister, I got your back. And I'm going to be there for you, and I'm going to text you Bible verses every day this week encouraging you. And I'm going to be on my face every morning 15 minutes before. I'm going to set my alarm 15 minutes early because I'm going to spend 15 minutes praying for you because I know you're dealing with some stuff right now. How many people in this room need something like that? Let me help you. All of us. All of us do. 